Hello and welcome to another episode of Growing Lennersley. My name's Adam Streeter and today I'm joined by head gardener Jamie Harris. Hi Jamie, how are you doing? Hi Adam, good, yeah. So um, today we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Leonardsley, um, kind of in the in the hundreds of years before the Streeter family came around of all our mad ideas. I think there was plenty of other um, you know, weird and wonderful people before us and um, that really were the ones that we have to thank for the gardens we got today. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd wonder what the, the challenges they went through uh, during their times, I mean, this week has been a, a pretty challenging time. Uh, it's, you know, another week really at Leonardsley, but the the torrential rain we've just had. So we're just recording this um, on the on the twenty second of October. So about two days ago, we had the real tr- torrential rain, and um, I think we both knew what we were going to be waking up to the next morning. It was a bit of a bit of a mess, wasn't it? Yeah, I did uh, fear the worst when the rains were coming down, but it it was even worse in them. Um than I expected and worse than it was the heavy rains three weeks previous to that so and we're sat here in the beautiful sunshine today <laughs> but yeah two days ago is a different story yeah you'd never believe it and, and, and I think to sort of compound matters and make it all worse that you um your team the, the gardening team were off on a, a day trip to Nyman's which is another gardens down the road which is you know links to links between the two properties and already for a day trip and unfortunately that had to be cancelled because you know there was lots of work on the, the paths and the and the lakes and um, yeah, so I did feel I could see that everyone had to put in a lot of extra work. Um, yeah, there was a few um, unhappy faces. Yeah, we were, <laughs> we were all about to have a little um, team visit to Nyman's, but um, yeah, there are no, no paths left in the garden, so we had to uh, sort that out, and we're still sorting it out today, yeah. and probably still will be next week, to be honest. I know, well, no, they've all done a, an amazing job. I'm sure they all tune into the podcast, so they'll be happy um, happy to get their mention. <laughs> I'm but, sure. Um, <laughs> um, and, I mean, speaking of Nyman's, I mean, Nyman's features in the history of Leonardsley really as well I mean um the 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 families that created Leonardsley created Nyman's created Wakehurst yeah. um you know it's, it's all all linked together and that that kind of brings us on to um what we're going to be speaking about today um and I mean I guess I guess it's probably best to start where where everything began and uh, you know how far back um we've managed to track the history of of Lennersley Gardens and how it came about to be what it is today. Um, so I know, I mean, Jamie's Jamie's the one that's been he's been really sort of sharpening his pencil and doing all <laughs> the notes and doing the research um, to to figure it out. So I mean, where did what was the sort of first recorded bit of information that we have about Lennersley when it when it first started? I mean, yeah, I'm sure we we could keep going back further, but um, the first sort of key event, I suppose, um, is when King Charles II. Uh, granted the lands of St. Leonard's Forest, of which Lennersley was part of then, to his physician at the time, Sir Edward Greaves. Um, from him, they were passed down to uh, a family called the Aldridge family, but it was in 1803 when um, Charles Beauclerk uh, bought the property, and that's when sort of some of the major work started happening to the garden. Um, he did a lot of landscaping. Um, he created um, an area called the American Garden. It was one of the, uh, the first in the country at the time full of um, exotics and palms and conifers, but also camellias, rhododendrons and magnolias that you see here today. So, so I mean, with the Americans, we're calling it the American Garden, because I've seen sort of pictures before that says the, the American Garden. So what would have been sort of the key features of the American Garden? But about the bee, but the redwoods have been part of that as well? Yeah, that's right. I mean, he planted some of the first sequoia dendron, um, gigantium trees, probably from the first stock introduced into the country. And at, at that sort of time, so we're talking early 1800s, there was a lot of um, plant hunting going on, a lot of new material coming into into Britain. And 
gardens with enough money were able to sort of really um, diversify their plant collection. And um, that's a, a, a trend that's continued right through Leonard's Lee's um, ownerships, really. So it's amazing, really, that, that you know, that continued. That was well, over 200 years ago that, that that was happening. And that continued throughout, you know, the next 100 years plus yeah. where, you know, it was really the plant hunters um, that was... In that it seemed to attract these sort of people, I guess. Yeah, I think each sort of wealthy landowner had their own sort of links to a different plant hunter. I mean, Lennersley is, is a woodland garden, and a lot of the woodland gardens were created at a time when the, the sort of the famous plant hunters like Forrest Wilson and Kingdom Ward were doing their sort of forays into China and further afield. So, um, yeah, before that, everyone's garden was um, a bit less interesting. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, so he's, I mean, um, Charles uh, Beclerc, he sounded very interesting. <laughs> what was the, the story you were, you were telling me about him? Well, um, him and his family used sorry, to... Sorry, sorry, before the lawyers get involved, allegedly, just yes. in case, allegedly. Yes, we understand <laughs> that. Um, yeah, so he socialised with um, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, and then the pirates, uh, pirates, <laughs> the um, poets Byron and Shelley. Um, and apparently Mary Shelley had a bit of a, a thing for Charles's uh, son, although um, his son ended up marrying someone else. And then one day when Mary was visiting, uh, Charles's son's wife drowned in the lake mysteriously. Apparently she was uh, seized by giddiness, but there's... Um, <laughs> There's some subtext in there, I think. Amazing. Somewhere. So Mary Shelley, of course, famous for Frankenstein. So indeed, I mean, yeah. you never know. Leonardsley. That's. I mean, we're just coming up to Halloween. I don't know how we've missed that <laughs> trick that we've. Um, yeah, we should. We should have Frankenstein's that's monster. True, yeah. Next, next um, Halloween, definitely. Yeah. You, I, I think. I mean, with enough makeup and some props, you could be a really fantastic Frankenstein. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad you said with makeup. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that, that was and that was brilliant. So then from Charles Beclerc, I mean, where did where did the estate go to then? Uh, next to William Hubbard, who was a kind of a wealthy merchant, did a lot of uh, trading in Russia. So this is around 1852. Um, he buys Lee and he adds an extra 57 acres to the estate at this point. Do we know how big the the estate was at that time? Um, well, it was probably about 950 acres because by the time Sir Edmund Loder buys it, which is our sort of key. Um, historical figure is about a thousand acres then yeah yeah so i mean i know because from obviously since we've been at leonardsley and, and and living there and getting to know people locally they all kind of mentioned that you know at one point where they live used to be part of leonardsley yeah, I'm sure, actually yeah. you know trying to look back and look at the maps and see where how far the estate went it's actually amazing to see you know what leonardsley used to be now yeah. you know by comparison we've got a small a small portion, but yeah, I mean, I mean it, it feels big enough at 250 acres, totally whatever it is. But, um, yeah, no. four times that size would have been, yeah, that's a, it's, size a, it's, it's amazing. So, you know, the, I do sometimes look at some of the areas and go, Oh, that bit looks quite nice. Yeah, I wish we still had that, bit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I think we've got we've got enough, we've got enough, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so he so he added to them, and um, do you know what was sort of his key contributions? I get, I mean, in terms of the garden, he didn't really add too much to them he sort of managed them but one of the one of his key things was um he rebuilt the mansion and also at this point he actually names it leonardsley for the first time so it was i think it was called st leonard's lodge perhaps before that yeah um local historians might tell us otherwise but i believe that's right and then yeah he named it leonardsley we think because it 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 lies in the lee of a valley so leonardsley that um, and it seems to make sense um his his daughter was actually quite interesting as well, Lu- Louisa Maria Hubbard. 
she was a real big advocate for um, women's education and women's rights and employment. Okay. And uh, she founded a teacher training facility in Chichester, which ended up becoming the Royal College of Midwives. So oh, um, wow. she was quite a key local figure as well. Oh, so, I mean, there's, there's already links there to my family. I mean, the, the yeah, strong, strong, strong women for a start. And, yeah. and then one of my sisters a teacher, one of my sisters a midwife. Blimey. I mean, there we go. It was oh, all it's like it was serendipity. All <laughs> meant to be. <laughs> Um, and so he, so he, he built the um, the Italianette mansion that's that's there today. Yeah, apparently designed by T. L. Donaldson. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else he designed, but um, yeah, it was definitely Italianette in style. Before that, it was more of a wooden structure. Yeah, I think. and I, th- I think because I remember him saying that, it, but he felt that the house that was there sort of wasn't really worthy yeah. of the estate, and he yeah. wanted to put something yeah. that you know this a grand mansion and. Well, it, it commands such amazing views. Yeah, you'd want a, a, you know, a decent place to see them from, wouldn't you? It does. I mean, looking at some of the pictures of, of the mansion and, you know, even in the last hundred years, it's changed dramatically. Mm. I, I know they had a whole other wing that um, was, you know, substantially yeah. much, much bigger than it was. And there was a, there was um, an orangery out on the other side as well, which right, um, yeah. got destroyed when in the in the great storm. So when you can the, still see on the walls, yeah, can't you? Yeah, that's it, sort of the, the zigzags, of, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean... Because I think they had the, um, yeah, in, in that part of the house where the um, where the extent, where the, well, not the extension, where the the the, the wing that's now not there, they, they had the uh, was it the animals they from went from the hunting because they were they were big hunters as well back yeah. back then. So I mean, I've seen the picture of all of the, the quite, animals. Um, it's yeah, I mean, in today's day yeah. and age, it's, and it's really shocking. I think back then it was you know a sign of look what I am. Yeah, and, wealth and power and. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure it'd go d- down too well today. I think. No, I, mean, I guess at the time it would have been impressive. Today, it's quite um, yeah. scary almost. Yeah, a bit morbid. Yeah. No. So, um, so they, they were they were then sort of the, what the ones that then led into the Loder family, I guess. That's right. Yeah. So, so the Loder family are you know, key figures in this part of the country. Um, Sir Robert Loder buys High Beaches around 1847, but um, Sir Edmund Loder, Sir, Sir Arthur Edmund, he buys Lenersley in 1889 actually from uh, William Hubbard, who was yeah. his father-in-law. So he, he married William Hubbard's daughter, basically. Um, yeah, and that point it was over a 1,000 acres. Um, this is 1889. And then three years after that, Edmund's brother Gerald buys Wakehurst. So within a, you know, sort of almost spitting distance, you've got High Beaches, Lendersley and Wakehurst, all owned by the same same family. So It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, they uh, they clearly love their gardens. I mean, I can't imagine... <laughs> having or having high beaches, Wakehurst, Leonardsley. I mean, yeah. what a lot of work that that must have left. I and mean, yeah, still three famous gardens today. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, take my hat off to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so Edmund. He was at Leonardsley for just over thirty years, and he's kind of the reason why everyone's heard of Leonardsley. Really. So when I was studying horticulture, Leonardsley was on the syllabus because of the work that Sir Edmund did. Really. Yeah. So. He created the, the Loderai hybrids, which are often uh, sort of cited as the most important um, rhododendron hybrid collection in the world. Um, so he, you know, he moves in 1889. The first thing he does is the rock garden. But two years after that, in 1901, um, yeah, he starts creating this rhododendron collection. Um, did quite a lot of research, working at um, sort of or having contacts at um, Care, Carehays and uh, with Millais and Mengles, these sorts of local key um, horticulturalists. And um he actually saw some plant material from across the road at South Lodge, um, oh, really? um, a shrub called Rhododendron griffithianum. He crosses that, so he takes a pollen from that and crosses it with the female flower parts of another rhododendron called Fortunii. 
And these, after seven years, eventually flower, or six years, in 1907, and that becomes the first uh, Loderi hybrid. Um, it takes two uh, sort of qualities from it, one of its parents, Griffithianum. It's the large flowers and the amazing bark you see on the, the Loderi types. And then from Fortunii, the scent, the amazing scent that they have, the hardiness. So not all plants were hardy at that time. And also the vigorous growth. So the Loderi are a big tree, yeah. rhododendrons. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're big, huge things. Impressive. Um, eventually creates over 35 different Loderi hybrids. Um, to be honest, some of them you might struggle to, to uh, tell the difference between, but um, there are a few really important ones. Loderi King George is probably the most well-known as still available in some nurseries today, but um, a lot of them only exist at Lennersley as far as we know. So, um, yeah, there's a really important collection and people come from all over the world sometimes to, to, to see them here. Absolutely. And that's that's why it, was, it would have been such a shame to have lost that because they would have, you would have lost substantial parts of history. Yeah. Um, and with some of these plants would never have been seen again. Yeah, I mean, um, we're lucky that the 1987 storm didn't, you know, wipe them out. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, God, touch wood. Yeah, <laughs> God, yeah. After, after all the storms we've been having recently, yeah. we don't need to start, yeah, um, yeah cursing ourselves. Um, Oh no! I mean, it's it's really amazing. So, and he also introduced um, quite a few different animals as well. Yeah. So there was, I mean, obviously we're famous for the wallabies. Yeah. Um, and you know they're thriving, and they've been here for over a hundred years. That's right. Um, but there was also, uh, I think, a, a lot of other animals, and I, I can't even imagine where he kept them or how it would have how yeah. it would have looked. I mean, we've got some pictures. We've got pictures of um, ostriches, which looks like what is now our event field. <laughs> Um, there's capybaras, which looks like it might be up the other side of the lakes, but again, it's hard to tell. Yeah. But um, yeah, he had yeah ibex and uh, springboks, gazelles, antelopes, beavers in the lakes as well. Beavers, yeah. Well, we we want to. That's something we've been looking at mm. um, how we in, in reintroduce beavers into Lennonsley. Yeah, I know. We? Yeah, the Sussex Wildlife Trust are that's quite it. keen to start yeah. doing that, aren't they? So we, we've got to we've got to get them from Scotland. So um, <laughs> if there's any any of our Scottish listeners <laughs> that have got a spare beaver or two, yeah, send um, them one down. Yeah, yeah, we'd be happy to take them. Indeed, <laughs> we'll, we'll even come up and collect. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so if if we ever get the needs, I mean, if, if you think we should uh, introduce any other animals? You know, we, I mean, we already struggle enough with the deer that have. Uh, you know, we're still we're still trying to manage the deer that have. Mm. Um, yeah, when the gardens were closed, a lot of the um the fence lines were compromised and we yeah. the deer as we know have um thrived in the garden where they shouldn't be they should be in the yeah. deer park and um you know we really are, are trying to manage that and get them back into the deer park um so you know we haven't got too many spaces i'm not sure i'd like to put an ostrich in there and have it pecking at our <laughs> well, apparently ostriches can cohabit with wallabies so oh you could God. possibly put them in together but um i mean we, yeah we're lucky because there are wallabies out in the garden as yeah. well we're lucky they don't eat rhododendrons no, or, no. but yeah you're right the deer do certainly yeah no the wallabies just mow the grass for us yeah, so which is, yeah the more the merrier yeah. we're happy with that um yeah because we're looking to do lots of new planting coming up soon like mm. in, increasing our summer interest that sort of yeah. thing but um the deer might um hamper that slightly at the moment yeah so no i mean it is it's a, it's a real big problem and mm. um, that's why i just I, I can't believe you know that he was able to have so many different types yeah. of animals i don't know where he had the time i mean he sounds like he was um God, he must have never slept. He just, you know, creating hybrids, other yeah. gardens, you know, a mini zoo. I know. I mean, <laughs> it must have been his life was completely based around Lindsay, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So and so he was um 
So was Robin his son? Is that right? Or am I missing someone there? Um, um, well, there's, there's two Robins in the story. So his, his son, Robin, actually dies in the Great War around okay. 1917. Oh, so yeah. when Sir Edmund dies in 1920, uh, his, his wife takes over for a short period. Lady Lodo is often referred to as the Dowager in a lot of the historical notes. Okay. Um, but Giles Lodo, so Sir Edmund's grandson, takes over in 1945 and then manages Lennersley until about 1981. And he was, again, another keen plantsman. I think camellias were more his thing rather than rhododendrons. I mean, he used to exhibit a lot of the RHS shows, won all sorts of gold medals. Um, he also did some uh, new areas of the gardens. So uh, the Coronation Garden was his, uh, Camellia Grove was his. Um, yeah, so he, he was pretty active, although he did sell off a lot of the estate as well. So about 900 acres he sold off gradually during his, okay. his tenure. So I must, I mean, I'm assuming it was some sort of money issues or it must have been for, for that reason, I'd yeah, imagine. And that, to, yeah, and to manage that size, I suppose, as well. Yeah, because, well, the cost would have been through the yeah. roof. Um, so, I yeah. mean, yeah, we talked about the 1987 storm um, briefly. I mean, most gardens around here sort of talk about it with, you know, such a terrible thing but i've read some uh, notes from robin loader and he actually says for lensley it was mm. it was potentially a good thing yeah absolutely was, saved save the gardens yeah mm. when there were so many trees that were where there was huge areas that were closed off to visitors because they were too unsafe to allow access and then that storm came through got rid of all the literally the dead wood and uh, allowed them to sort of see the, the what was important about the garden and um, do some replanting and yeah. uh, sort of Start again, really. So, and when he sold off much of the estate, so actually that that's what makes sense. So, he, obviously, he had all of the estate then. So, when he had yeah. all of the animals as well, yeah, he had plenty of plenty <laughs> of space. So, um, so and then that's when I guess a lot of the animals were sold off as well. Yeah, so Robin definitely got rid of a lot of them. I mean, the wallabies. It's it's said that they are direct descendants from Sir Edmund's original introduction. So, really? some, I think when it was closed. For that sort of eight to ten year period, I think they were moved off site. Yeah, so, so well, some yeah, because I know so there's uh, uh, Wendy, or I call her Wendy Wallaby, who was one of <laughs> our, one of our um, neighbours. That's what she's is in my phone anyway, and um, she got in contact, and you know that she'd been given some wallabies, and um, but, yeah, I mean they breed like rabbits, yeah, and, like wallabies, yeah, um, and um, she had she had lots of them, and she donated um, quite a few of them back to us Excellent, on yeah. the proviso that we went and caught them. <laughs> which was great fun. <laughs> yes, I've heard some stories. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and uh, I'd, I'd imagine that that was a sort of a common thing that around the area yeah. because now in Sussex there are a lot of wallabies and yeah. whenever there's a, a wallaby seen out sort of running, a, hopping around on the road, um, we often get a call or a Facebook message saying your, your wallabies escaped and then I look where it is and it's about 40 miles away <laughs> and I think, blimey, if that's one of our wallabies. Then well, it might have come from here originally, I suppose, yeah, but um, no, not, not recently. I'm not claiming him, Fred. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so, so I guess then that takes us sort of into more of the, the recent history, which was um, Robin Loder, who essentially managed the gardens um, up until 2010 when they, yeah. were, when they were sold and closed. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that's Chris Loder, who's... Our neighbour. I mean, he's um, he's he's been really fantastic. He's yeah. um, a great sort of well of information, and he's you know really keen to to help out. And um, it, it's invaluable having someone like that who's our yeah, literally our next door neighbour. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm definitely I'm trying to convince him to uh, come on the podcast. Um, he's he's yeah a bit shy maybe, but it'd be a shame not to. Um, share some of the stories. I mean, I'm, I still have only got a fraction of it, and 
I'd, yeah, it'd be really good to know some more of the history. Oh, absolutely. Um, but also, you know, what what it was like running it during their yeah. time. You know, Chris was involved in the runnings of the gardens yeah. when Robin was there. And um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see the uh, see the, the challenges that yeah. they had then versus what we have now. And yeah, um, yeah so we're going to try and can try and get him along here. I think um, once you get him going, it might have to be a future feature length <laughs> episode. But, um, he's got so much information. No, I mean, he comes into the garden every now and again and we sort of follow him around with little notepads <laughs> and he's just trying to write down everything he says. But um, yeah, there's not much he doesn't know about that that period, to be honest. Yeah, well, I think um, we'll, we'll, we'll do it soon. So, I mean, that, that's sort of a, a brief history and yeah. covers some of the main events. I mean, there's some areas like the lakes, I guess. I mean, they're a man-made feature. They were They were... Put yeah. in at some point. I mean, what do we know about the lakes? When did they, when and why, I guess, would be the question. Yeah, I mean, we've got um, five, is it five different, no, seven different lakes, including um, uh, the, the Deer Park lakes, but um, they were all kind of created at different times and partly for different reasons. So it's quite a convoluted history. But I mean, yeah, they start essentially in the, in the 16th century, so predating everything we've talked about so far. Um, and it's all to do with the iron industry. So a lot of felling of trees, which, um, were felled for charcoal to um, reduce the ore and, and generate the heat to, to smelt um, the iron ore, and it was used apparently for cannons and cannonballs. Um, you know, around that time, that would have been quite a you know a, a key product: um, hinges, horseshoes, nails, all sorts of things. I mean, it's all because our sandstone is is rich in iron, yeah. so we're kind of an ericaceous loam on a sandstone bedrock here. So um, it's amazing. It's, it, was, it really is amazing. I mean, to think of a cannonball being produced yeah. at Leonardsley and then going off what somewhere that to went on to, I mean, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, if that's one thing, if I could get a time machine and go and go through the history of that, you know, this, this area and just yeah. see um, what Leonardsley looked at every, oh, every amazing, sort of 20 years or so and see the changes. Cause yeah. I, I used to think of it as just the terrain that was changing. And cause you've seen pictures where, yeah, where plantings been made, trees that have gone in, yeah. and then obviously fifty years later, mm. it's gone from very low lying to you know shot up, and and it it, it changes the, yeah. the 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 vistas and the, and the estate. But actually, forget about the stories of of the people that were there and yeah. the things that went on. Um, I mean, there's 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 um, the, the the kind of famous one is. Uh, that Hitler. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I've been compared to a lot of things in my times, but at least I'm not the the worst thing that's happened to Leonard Slee. So there was um, no comment. <laughs> that Hitler was um, he was what was it? He was looking to have Leonard Slee as his base after the invasion of Britain was successful. Yeah, apparently so. I mean, either him or or Hermann Göring apparently had kind of had their eye on Leonard Slee. <laughs> Although I will say I've kind of worked at a lot of gardens in this area and some of them have got a story about Hitler or someone yeah. wanting to move into the property. But yeah, apparently here it, it's very much the case that I mean, he had his eye on Lennersley. So, um, so there we go. So if any, anyone not happy with uh, something that we're doing at the estate, just remember it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, that, and actually just after, I mean, around that time, so after just after the war, um, kind of one of the famous... Uh, stories of Lennersley is the film that was filmed at Lennersley with Black Narcissus. Yeah, um, around 1947. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it won two Oscars and a Golden Globe. It was, um, yeah, quite popular at its time. And it's got, you know, two quite famous directors. I mean, I, I studied film at a university and Powell and Pressburger are, are kind of up there with some of the most renowned directors. I mean, mostly it was shot at Pinewood, you know, one of the local film okay. studios, but apparently a lot of the exteriors were, were shot here at Lennersley to match the look of um, the Himalayas. And uh, we had um, Roy Lancaster coming around for a, a garden walk um, this week. 
And as we were taking him down um, the Loderai Garden, he, he just said completely out of the blue that it reminded him of the Himalayas and it felt like just walking through yeah. those. And so, you know, perhaps you can see why they, why they chose us then. Well, they didn't use us for the remake that they just recently did on the BBC. So, I mean, no. I don't know how I was, you know, put my nose out. <laughs> a bit, but, um, well, you never know. But there's, um, I think what, what a good way to finish would be um, something that's maybe not so much history, but more of a myth and a legend um, oh, you're saying it's not true. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it uh, depends who's asking. Yeah. The kids that ask, then absolutely, it's 100%, true. 100%, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's the, that's the, um, the legend of the dragon in Leonard's Yes, and, oh, and, and it's Halloween as well, so yeah, quite, know, quite so good timing. Again, yeah. so look, we've actually, on this podcast, we've managed to get two more ideas for the next <laughs> two years of, um, yeah. of Halloween. So we'll have to get Katrine, who's our events manager. She can... Um, start figuring out how she's going to dress up as a dragon and uh... dragon being rid by Frankenstein, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we talked about how uh, Leonard's Lee was called St. Leonard's Forest, and St. Leonard was um, uh, a sixth century French hermit who apparently slayed the last dragon in England. And um, everywhere that the drops of blood from the dragon fell, a uh, lily of the valley, so Convalaria mag magalis, sort of sprung up, and you, you still see them in the garden here today. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's um, a, a nice story, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, something that we're sort of having ties with with um, our illuminated event coming up as that's well. It, There's going to be a, a dragon as part of that, that isn't is, there? Yeah, so. well, that's uh, that's good. I like how you just managed to <laughs> get a, a plug at the at the end of that for illuminated, which yeah, is tickets still available. Quite right. <laughs> um, yeah, our third year of illuminated this year, and it's going to be um, yeah our, our biggest one yet. And um, yeah, we're going for I think it's the so, I mean in the next three weeks I think until we start getting the set up and then five weeks until we kick mm. off for that so and that just I mean that again if you start talking about the history and then I bet a hundred years ago uh, yeah and there's it never no, would have imagined in a million years <laughs> would they imagine that the sort of things that would be going on now um hopefully they'd be happy with it I'm yeah. sure I'm sure they would I mean it's um it's pretty amazing and um yeah, who knows what the next 100, 200 years will bring as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Virtual reality, Leonard's name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just have masks, you know, <laughs> on permanently and sitting at home, virtual reality. Hopefully not, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so look, I hope everyone's enjoyed uh, the episode. Uh, thanks a lot, Jamie. We're going to do um, another episode shortly, I know. Um, so um, that'll be, yeah, it's been really, really interesting. Um Thanks a lot for listening. If you've if you enjoyed it, please subscribe and um, and make sure that you uh, don't miss any of our episodes. Again, please email in uh, with any questions you've got, any subjects you want us to be talking about. Um, we have had a lot of different suggestions and we've got a lot of ideas ourselves as well. Um, so, yeah, if, you, if you're liking this, we'll, we'll keep on going. And uh, until the next time, I uh, hope you'll keep well.